Hi everyone and welcome to the Alami podcast, Change Your Company. Today we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion and my guest is uh, Maria Marukian who is an author and uh, she's been working with uh, leaders from all over the world to help them develop their leadership, their talents, to develop the right culture and also to support them in their efforts in uh, creating more diversity and inclusion at the workplace. Hi Maria, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, Maria, I have a question. When it comes to diversity and inclusion, uh, I mean, we hear a lot about it these days. Um, but some companies, what they are doing, and, uh, and I hear about it like more and more, they have like the chief diversity and inclusion officer. Does this solve the problem from your based on your experience? Uh, <laughs> short answer, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is an important uh, component to ensuring that there is a centralized focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So if we back up for a moment, uh, chief diversity officers have been, uh, have been around for many years, right, for decades. And what does, what, what the research does bear out is that when you have somebody in a position, in a leadership position, preferably in the C-suite with direct access to uh, you know, other executives. That is uh, incredibly important for sustainable diversity, equity, and inclusion for the organization to see this is something we're taking seriously. However, what's been interesting is that some of the latest data has indicated that the organizations that have hired chief diversity officers in the last few years have actually um, not seen a, a, you know, the, the type of progress that they would like. And that's actually not surprising to us in the field because what has happened is that by hiring somebody to be the DEI person, the chief diversity officer, a lot of executives, CEOs, power brokers within the organizations have abdicated any responsibility for owning this work. And they just sort of say, okay, we expect that this one person is going to bear the responsibility for changing our organizational culture. And that's absolutely ludicrous to expect. So it's important to have uh, leaders in these positions as chief diversity officers and they one they have to have the the requisite qualifications they have to have the resources and the staffing to be able to implement the types of strategic change that are needed and there has to be active commitment visible and active commitment from uh, senior leadership from supervisors all the way up in order for these organizational efforts to really take wing. I mean, in a way, what you are talk, uh, talking about here reminds me of this uh, challenge and the common for leaders where it comes to quality. So you have a quality manager and then some leaders say, yeah, okay, you know, the, the quality is a responsibility of the quality manager and it doesn't work this way. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So uh, in, in a way, like uh, this uh, responsibility is so to all the line management and, and that's why it cannot be in a way delegated. So in that case, the chief diversity and inclusion officer is a 
um, uh, is a kind of a catalyst, but he, he or she is not the one who would be able to ensure that this is happening or taking place. Yes, absolutely. That's a beautiful way to put it, that it's a catalyst. And it's also, it's the, uh, it is important to have somebody who does have the, the field experience to be able to guide the process, to be able to answer questions, to be able to hold others accountable um, and, and ensure that promising practices that, uh, that are understood and agreed upon by experts across the field are being implemented, right? So you do need to have that person or group of persons with that expertise. Um, and to your point, they need to be the catalysts for the change. They need to be the ones that are guiding it, but not owning it completely. It's got to be shared ownership across the organization. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we jumped straight into the responsibility. What would be interesting for, for all the people who would be listening to this is what do you, I mean, why is it important diversity and include diversity and inclusion? Uh, and I'm sure that there are a lot of research which supports this. Yes, there, I mean, decades of research. Uh, and so in, uh, in short, <laughs> diversity and inclusion, and, and in particular, you know, we've been talking a lot um, in, our, in our work, not only about the diversity and inclusion piece, but also the equity piece. And, and equity is really about ensuring that everybody has opportunities to bring their fullest talents to thrive, has, has the opportunities for, um, for promotions, for uh, career development, and the recognition that for some, and in particular, uh, you know, people who are part of mar traditionally marginalized groups have often had more barriers put in front of them when it comes to professional advancement. So um, in terms of why this is important, first and foremost, uh, the demographics of our populations are changing at an exponential rate. And most definitely, you know, because I'm based in the United States, I could go on for hours about, uh, you know, some of the statistics, you know, that the U.S. Census has put forth. But these are trends that are happening all around the world, right? We are increasingly more diverse uh, in terms of our race, our ethnicities. Um, we see an increasing trends in terms of um, people identifying as part of the LGBTQ community, so folks who identify as lesbian, gay, transgender. Um, and in particular, when we think about this from a generational standpoint, the, the younger generations, the people who are either entering into the workforce or going to be entering into the for workforce have a very different perspective and set of expectations about what the workplace environment and culture should be like, how people should be able to contribute. And um, so in, in essence, if we're not taking the time to build cultures that not only celebrate diversity, but are actively engaged in ensuring that they're people focused and they recognize the needs of various individuals, then we're going to lose out on significant talent. And in addition to that, there's actually a lot of research that shows that companies that do prioritize DEI, that do have higher levels of representation of women, of racial and ethnic minorities, especially in senior positions, are 
um, financially outperforming those that don't. And the gaps between the, the high performing, uh, more diverse organizations and those that are not prioritizing it, those gaps are growing on a year by year basis. So the mm-hmm. trend very clearly indicates to us that when it comes to financial performance, when it comes to employee productivity, when it comes to innovation and the creativity of teams, um, when you have people who are bringing diverse perspectives and heuristics and life experiences, they are going to come up with more innovative solutions. Um, they're more representative of the consumers and the stakeholders that uh, that organizations are serving. So whether your organization is profit-driven or mission-driven, there are clear um, and very tangible uh, uh, statistics that show that that it's there's there's no business case to not do diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion at this point. But uh, here is a question, uh, which is, uh, um, could it be that if we focus like too much on this, mm-hmm. it could basically make us not pay attention to um, the, the expertise we need or the skills that we need? I mean, I, I heard about this, uh, in, uh, mm-hmm. some it was maybe recent in the news. I still I didn't read it myself, but about an airline maybe in the U.S. where they had like a percentage of pilot needs to be like, you know, from, um, from like, uh, I forgot the exact, like, uh, uh, where from on and what are the ratio, et cetera. But they had like, they have to be from a certain groups of people. And, and then someone was commenting, I was like, well, I need the pilot who would be really be able to kind of, uh, fly the plane safely. I don't, I, I, I don't care that much about, you know, which groups he belongs to, you know? Right. And, uh, so, so what do you think about this? I mean, could it be that if we focus, I mean, too much on this, it could have like potential negative consequences or not really? This is a, uh, a line of questioning and a, a sort of argument that we often hear in the profession. And I think to a certain extent, there's a bit of a, a misconception and a false narrative behind it. Because um, when you're truly embracing diversity, equity, inclusion, when you're building it into every aspect of the organizational culture, the purpose should not be let's go and just focus on getting people who represent a certain identity group, uh, regardless of whether they have the qualifications or not. That's just dangerous, right? (laughs) Particularly when it comes to who's flying the planes. Um, But it's, I think it's overcoming a lot of the institutionalized biases and stereotypes that have been perpetuated for generations that often have a direct impact on who is selected, who's interviewed, who's selected for positions. And we've seen this this research replicated for dozens of years. You could have a, a, a woman and a man, for example, with equal qualifications. Their resumes could literally be identical. And the only thing that is the same is the name on the resume. And what the research has shown, and it continues even to this day, 2023, that um, in certain positions, especially ones that have traditionally been male dominated, 
women tend to be overlooked for those positions. Um, and oftentimes it's, it's unconscious, right? The, the people who are doing the hiring don't necessarily recognize that they're doing this, but they may, what we call move the goalposts in terms of the criteria that they use to make their selection. Um, the same happens with people who are part of racially and ethnically uh, minoritized or marginalized groups. So um, for example, in the United States, there was a, a study that was, um, that's been done a number of times. And what it indicated was that if you had uh, resumes that were sent out to hiring managers, um, and the the again the only thing that was different on these resumes was the name uh, of the individual, and one was a white sounding name, and one was a black sounding name. Um, not only would we see more uh, calls for interviews for the people who have the white sounding name. But in addition to that, some of this research has indicated that, um, for example, white men who have on their resume that they have been convicted of a crime, of a felony, are still more likely to get offered the job than black men with no criminal record. And so that is astounding. And again, this is not necessarily because people individually are uh, explicitly biased and saying we don't want to hire women or people of color. It's that we are conditioned in our societies to um, internalize these stereotypes that often are driving our decisions without us recognizing it. So I say all of that because I think that it's not a question of lowering our expectations or taking people who are less qualified. It is about recalibrating one, what we consider when we think about who is qualified, um, and two, to directly challenge and override these implicit biases that are so deeply entrenched in our individual and collective decision-making processes. It's, it's great, um, and uh, I love the way you describe it. Uh, it's a very simple, and, um, and it shows like how, how we are biased. I mean, sometimes I'm, when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, is it is it because group of people are used to look at, uh, I mean, for example, you said like, okay, white, uh, I have a prefer being preferred, but now if we if we like if we take it for example, and we say it's a it's a company where it's mostly like uh, African Americans, right, and. Mm -hmm. And then you have a white name. Like in that case, maybe it would it would be a similar case, right? I mean, what do you think? Or yeah, I mean, bias can work in a variety of different ways, yeah. right? And we inherently have biases where we tend to gravitate toward people that we perceive are like us, right? Exactly. exactly. All of us, you know, we tend to when we are definitely when we're hiring, when we're promoting, when we're looking for who do I want to bring. Uh, to work with me on this team project, right? We often have these um, innate desires to work with people that we we feel that affinity toward or that we share some similar background because we know it's just going to be easier <laughs> in yeah. some way. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I think it's also important for us to engage in intentionality, regardless of what my identity is or what the majority of the workforce is in my organization. If we're being more conscious 
and asking ourselves rather than hiring for what we would perceive as culture fit in our organization, which often ends up giving us more of what we already have. Can we look for um, the people who are going to be culture contributions? Where do we have gaps? Where do we perhaps see a value in bringing somebody into whether it's this team project, whether it is our environment, whether it is for promotion um, opportunities, where might we want to actually look for somebody who is going to bring a different perspective, who's going to bring a different approach? Um, and so I think it's more about taking what is often unconscious up to the conscious level and asking ourselves on our teams, in our decision-making, in our, in our decision-making panels, um, what's most important to us and what are the, what, what are the criteria we're going to prioritize? That's great. Uh, what, what could be some uh, three maybe practical tips when it comes to leaders, when taking care of this uh, area to ensure, I mean, uh, having a, an, an inspiring workplace, having a workplace which is attractive to for talents, for, for people from diverse groups who could enrich this workplace. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have to nail I have to think of three. <laughs> I have so many. <laughs> yeah. um, I think first and foremost, when it comes to mitigate, mitigating biases, and again, recognizing that this is deeply human, we all carry biases um, that we are not aware of. And so it's not a matter of faulting an individual or saying that they are inherently good or bad or right or wrong. It's just recognizing that all of us are products of our environment and the messages that we just internalize from often the time we're young. Um, so just acknowledging that, saying, I am assuming that in any decision, there's the possibility that I'm going to have some tunnel vision. I will have some um, mental shortcuts that I might make without realizing it. And those are going to have an impact on my decisions. And so how can I slow down the process, seek out um, alternative perspectives, ask for others to share with me where I might have some of those blind spots. So that's kind of number one, is just slowing things down and asking ourselves where might our biases influence our um, perspectives. The can second... I give you one? Can I give you one example of this? Because Please. I remember when my first uh, leadership roles, um, I had a mentor, and I was um, I became responsible for a unit which is standard management, which is all kind of big bids, and usually they require like you stay late at night and uh, mm. I, rem I remember one time I was working on one bit and basically I didn't I didn't go back home to sleep I stayed till the next day yeah. when I became like the leader of the of the department so I was hiring people and then uh, I was kind of a in a way like have a preference toward like man versus woman because for me it was like if I need them to stay late and it, it, it has a lot of pressure etc and I remember I had this mentor and he told me like, what are you doing? Like mm. you, I mean, and because I was, uh, he was telling about the candidate, I said like, no, but I mean, you know, like she, you know, she, has, she, she, uh, she, 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 she has a relationship. She will be pregnant maybe at one point and then she would not be able. He said like, 
says, how, 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 how come you are approaching this like uh, this situation like this? And and I, I, it really kind of made me become aware of of, mm-hmm. of like this kind of um, attitude toward this. And later on, like uh, I mean, at one point, my team. I mean, I moved into another role, and and then my team was where, where was the whole team was only women. And uh, mm-hmm. and I think and I think it's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm grateful that. I had that moment, you know, which is, I said to myself, you know what, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's not fair, you know, it's not fair to look at it this way. And it's not also uh, efficient and effective. Right, right. I love yeah. that example. And uh, it's such a perfect one for two reasons. One is, you know, I think it's when we shift our, our frame of reference, um, we can learn so much, not only about ourselves, but about what um, what is possible. And as a mother um, and and an, an owner of a business, I can definitely um, attest to the fact that women who are mothers are the hardest working people because we never turn off and we have the capacity to multitask like nobody else. And so, um, you know, I think it's just shifting our mindset about who can make themselves available. Maybe they can't sleep overnight in the office, but if if they feel a sense of connection to the organization, if they feel a sense of responsibility um, and they know that their needs are being taken care of, they will work harder than anybody else, right? Um, And the other thing I really loved about your your story, uh, Dr. Alame, was, you know, the the second piece that I often talk about with leaders is being humble and accepting those insights and that feedback when it is given and really seeing that as a gift, right? This is somebody is taking um, the, you know, the, the risk to share with me where I might be making some, some errors in my judgment. I, rather than getting defensive, rather than trying to explain myself, what can I learn from this Mm -hmm. situation? And I think that's so important and so powerful. And as leaders, a lot of times I think we are not taught or rewarded for acknowledging when we make mistakes. Yeah. And so yeah. we hide them or we dismiss them or we find ways to justify <laughs> what we've done rather than saying, yeah. oh, wow, I made an error. Here's what I learned yeah. from it and how I'm going to do differently next time. So I think that's, that's yeah. so important. And then, I mean, I think here also maybe it's important to to talk about this idea that, I mean, especially when it comes to women, I think at the workplace and especially in the corporate environment, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I kind of, uh, I noticed from experience how uh, it's so important to have, you know, like, I mean, it's it basically, I mean, without women, it, it would be like a um, jungle, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, in a way, just talking about energy energetically right we need this energy at the workplace uh, because i mean having the masculine energy like kind of spread everywhere and i think it's just it it's not sustainable you know it's a, we need it still but it's not sustainable so the feminine energy in a way yeah. uh, like the the energy of embracing the energy of listening the the energy of caring all these it, it's are so key and 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 what i 
what I noticed from my experience is that the bigger the organization, the more there is a, I mean, um, there is a risk of uh, kind of a losing the human uh, aspect, right? The human factor, there is, a, there is a risk of that. And I think the feminine energy comes into play in these situations and really helps to kind of ensure that there is a, still a soul for the organization and a heart for the organization. Yeah, and there's, I, I love that you brought that up. There's, um, again, so much research that indicates that particularly when we look at um, the, the infrastructure and, and the, the future of work, uh, that um, it is absolutely in, imperative for us to focus on a more human-centered approach to the way that we lead and manage. And there's actually some research that has been done that shows that women tend to be more effective leaders than men in a lot of ways. But I don't necessarily think it has to do with your identity as a man or a woman, but more so, as you said, some of those characteristics and behaviors that have traditionally been subscribed, you know, or ascribed to either men or women. Um, but there's a, a great deal of research that shows in, in in particular, because we are moving outside of the industrial revolution, right? We are, we are in a, a state where most of the work that is being done is um, the work that has been done in the past that has, you know, now become automated leads more and more of us to be in more um, positions where we have to engage in critical thinking, where we have to engage in collaborative and strategic work rather than working the assembly line. And um, and so the the characteristics, the behaviors of leaders that um, that employees are really looking for today and in the future is much more about um, adaptability, about social and emotional intelligence, and about a willingness to be to be agile, right? So folks aren't looking for the smartest person in the room, quote unquote, the person who can answer all of the questions or be the expert. In fact, a lot of times they don't want somebody who's the expert to be the leader. They want somebody who can bring the humanity to be the leader. Um, let me be the expert in my domain. You manage the projects and the people so that we can all get our work done. Exactly, 100%. Um... So we are reaching the the end of our conversation. Oh, and there are a lot of so lo quickly. <laughs> yeah, a lot of insights. Uh, but what would be one uh, final um, message you would leave like uh, leaders with? Hmm. I think uh, you know, going back to we talked a little bit about the the case, the importance for centering diversity, equity, and inclusion in our work, and I would definitely. Uh, recommend to all leaders, one, this work is ongoing. And so there's there's no point in time, just as if we're talking about IT, it's always evolving, right? Marketing, we don't have a solid marketing plan and it's successful. And then we just say, okay, we don't need marketing anymore. Um, so what, you know, looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, not just as an HR uh, responsibility, but as a, a corporate culture, responsibility and strategy um, and seeing that that needs to be something that's embedded in every conversation, in every decision-making process um, that needs to be closely entwined with the, the corporate mission and vision and strategy. Um, and that leaders, people who are being, who are 
the most visible, who have the most um, power and influence over the organization, bear the most responsibility for doing their own work to understand the needs of the full workforce that they can and should be hiring and mentoring and uh, developing in order for their organizations to thrive. A great message. And uh, thank you so much for sharing all these insights. I think today more than ever, because of what you what you shared at the beginning, the diverse nature of the workforce uh, and, and the more complex uh, environment and marketplace, um, we, we need we need every talent, like uh, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their race or color, or um, and and that's why we need more leaders who em- embrace this and who seek this because that's uh, that will be the key for having an inspiring workplace and a high-performing workplace. Uh, your your work, uh, Maria, is uh, in in line with the purpose of of this podcast, which is all about. Uh, creating a human-centered workplace. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And for all our listeners, uh, stay inspired and make the biggest impact you could make, not only within your area of responsibility, but beyond it. Bye.